Welcome to the Uncut Podcast. I'm Pastor Luke. I am Pastor Cameron. And this is the Uncut Podcast, where we have uncut, honest conversations about faith, life, and ministry. Um, Today, we're going to be talking about a particular day from the church calendar, um, kind of uh, one that's coming up here where everyone knows about Easter and Christmas, Mm -hmm. but we're going to talk about one of the days that is less talked about in churches that don't focus on the church calendar. That's coming up as of this recording this Sunday. Yeah, I mean, if you're watching this the day that this podcast comes out, it would have been yesterday. Yep. So. So. So this coming Sunday for us, today's Thursday, but um, you know when this episode drops, it will have already passed, or mm-hmm. the day that we celebrate it will have already passed. Yes. So that's the holiday or the day of Pentecost, mm-hmm. which is uh, the day that we remember, commemorate the pouring out of God's spirit on the Mm -hmm. church post the ascension of Jesus or after Jesus ascends, uh, ascended back into heaven after his resurrection. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it is not a, at least that's what we remember Pentecost or celebrate Pentecost as, but it was, it's not that for everyone. Jews celebrate Pentecost. Mm -hmm. It's just, commemorates something different yeah well that was what i was about to ask as i was like wait i hopefully you know this uh did we get on here and do we know what pentecosts means like i was immediately wanting to make sure make sure everyone knows that we're not saying pentagon no not pentagon Um, we're not talking about the department of defense (laughs) we're talking about pentecost so it's usually five pentecost means 50th okay and um it's the 50th day Mm -hmm. after Passover for the Jews, which celebrated was the holiday. The um, the, there's a, a Hebrew name for it. I don't know how to pronounce it. S H A U V O T. Oh, but yeah. is the Feast of Weeks yeah. or the Feast of First Fruits? Mm-hmm. So where the Jewish people recognized the, the essentially the Lord is the Lord of the harvest mm-hmm. and offered their first fruits, which is an interesting connection to Pentecost because. In Christian circles, the Holy Spirit, Paul actually describes the Holy Spirit as the first fruits of our inheritance mm. for eternal life by faith in Jesus. So there's lots of interesting connections there. But yeah, Pentecost means 50th. So it'd be the 50th day after Passover. Gotcha. Yeah. Um, but so just imagine like, you know, you're celebrating Thanksgiving. Mm-hmm. And at the celebration of Thanksgiving, something world-changing, super miraculous happens. Right. You may still call your next Thanksgiving Thanksgiving. Right, but you. But the meaning changes. Celebrating or calling it something different. Yeah. Yeah. So that's kind of how. Like, gotcha. You know, it's not particularly a Christian only holiday we didn't have the pouring out of the spirit and then decide to call it pentecost gotcha i had not i had never heard that first fruits connection before yeah that's that's really cool yeah. i love that yeah. well i kind of just came up with it right now so. 
<laughs> I mean, it just you know, like there's just a sense of okay. I mean, I'm sure others. I'm not. It's not, yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, unique yeah, to me. You're not, but you're not gonna write a dissertation on that and be the first person to to have maybe made that connection. Probably but, not. Yeah. I mean, I, maybe. Uh, maybe. Maybe. Not. I don't know. Probably not. But yeah. <clears throat> uh, yeah, as you do some reading about Pentecost as the 50th day after Passover in the Jewish holiday. And then the, you know, that feast or that celebration has several different names: the Feast of Weeks, mm-hmm. um, uh, first fruits, yeah. uh, and then you go over into the New Testament and you begin to read some of Paul's works, maybe even Jesus. Uh, probably, uh, I don't, no, I think it's just Paul that speaks of the spirit as the first fruits of our inheritance or a deposit mm-hmm. guaranteeing our mm-hmm. inheritance. Uh, you know, there's a couple different ways that he describes them. I'm, I'm thinking right now of Ephesians chapter one, but he might describe the spirit there not as first fruits, but as a deposit. Um, Ephesians one. Um, 13, 14. Yeah. And and you also were included in Christ when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation. Having believed, you were marked with, uh, marked in Him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who was a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of His glory. So, essentially, saying here that the Holy Spirit dwells in us by faith in Jesus Christ, mm-hmm. and that the presence of the Holy Spirit in us is a deposit guaranteeing the inheritance that we will receive um, when God redeems all of creation, yeah. marking us as his possession. Where is it? First Romans, Romans 8, 23, um, <clears throat> which, uh, let's see. Well, 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 we'll say, I'll back up to verse 22. Um, Romans 8 says, For we know um, that... The whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, Mm -hmm. who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoptions as sons, the redemption of our bodies. Yeah. Yeah. So like the the Spirit is the first fruit or the first... Promise of the coming of the restoration. Right. Which we are groaning for. Yes. Yeah. And it, it is... Like it's the first bite of eternity. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, it's the thing that prepares us and sets our hearts, our minds, our eyes um, into eternity. Yeah. Um, hmm. I'm I'm curious. <clears throat> what like I know for I know for Palm Sunday, you know, churches obviously grab palms, and mm-hmm. do things with palms and, mm-hmm. and whatnot. Has is there any traditional uh, liturgical celebratory activities that churches have. I'm, I know there are in like, sure there are in like Catholicism and mm-hmm. Orthodoxy, but I'm trying to think outside of that in Protestantism, if there's anything we've continued to carry on in other traditions than ourselves, obviously, but I Not, wasn't sure if you were aware of any, me neither. I can't think of any, no. Yeah. You know, I mean, I'm sure there's pastors and preachers who have done some really weird stuff. 
on, pe- on Pentecost, you know, to try and make it make it that, you know, like flamethrowers over people's heads yeah. or something like that. Do but, the liturgical colors change? Yes, they do, I believe. Yeah. They they change at Pentecost. I think they change to red. Yeah. Um, in case you don't know what we're talking about, there's not only Bible passages and uh, scriptures and, and things that are associated with like mm-hmm. seasons of the calendar, but there's also colors. Yep. Um, so if a priest or the communion table, the color of those things will change yep. according with what is happening in the church calendar. I remember sending sending you a, a reel, or we saw a reel on inst- Instagram or something. I think it was a Catholic church, and they had they lit like a firecracker of a bird that I think like launched out of the sanctuary and then like came right. back on this wheel. Yep. That was for Pentecost, yes. wasn't it? Yep. Yeah. So <laughs> mm-hmm. that was quite mm-hmm. the spectacle too. Yes. Like if uh-huh. you if you imagine a massive cathedral, like think um, think the wedding scene from Sound of Music. You can tell I like musicals now. Um, but like this massive cathedral and this priest with this like you know, long stick with a wick on it, and he lights this bird, paper mache type bird, and it just and just mm. takes off and flies out and then flies back into It's the like sanctuary. the fireworks in the first Lord of the Rings movie. Yeah, something the, like The big dragon that comes <laughs> flying back over top of everyone, yeah. you know? Yeah, something like that. So there might be some churches who do something like that. Um. Yeah. yeah. So like when we talk about Pentecost in the Christian church, we talk about it in terms of like, okay, well, what happened in Acts chapter 2? Mm-hmm. It's really... Um, that's the thing. That's the thing for us. Yeah. You know, like I, um, you know, well, we're not Jews, so nope. I don't celebrate the Feast of Weeks. Yeah. I don't celebrate the, the first fruits, but I do celebrate Pentecost and recognize Pentecost, um, which we see in Acts chapter two, where uh, the disciples, you know, are, are there. And it's not just the disciples, it's a pretty large crowd. Um, we don't know exactly how large, but we know that they're, um, you know, it's fairly large. Well, there was... Because there's a bunch of different ethnic groups there. Yes, and I, I seem to remember towards the end, weren't there like, uh, is there a statement of how many were added to their number that day? Thousands. Thousands were added to yes. their, to that number that day. Well, um, at the end of Peter's speech, it says 3,000 were added to the number that day. Okay, so... yeah. At least that many. <laughs> At least that many. Right. Um, you know, and they were, you know, in Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost came. So Pentecost was something that they were celebrating before. Right. And they're in Jerusalem. There's mm-hmm. people coming to Jerusalem to celebrate. To celebrate Pentecost. Yeah. Uh, all of them were together in one place. We don't know how big, how many, but... Um, Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. There saw what seemed there they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Like like a few things that um a few things that interest me here and i'm not a greek scholar so i can't speak to it but um is that it feels to me a little bit like luke who wrote the book of acts and who's writing this account is describing in 
human language what kind of like appeared to be a really powerful moment. Yes. Uh, because even in the way that it's described, um, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came. Yes. Like, I don't know how to describe this. It's like the blowing of a violent wind right. or um, <clears throat> came from heaven and the whole house where they were sitting, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire. Yeah. I think that's a, I think that's a really like this passage, I think more than just about any passage is like those key words that are there, like give us a hint to understand that like, we are not seeing maybe like the most literal way of describing right. a thing. We're seeing the best approximation yeah. of the thing that human language, their language has at like that moment to understand, perceive, interpret, re-describe what happened. Yeah. I think if I, you know, and I'm certainly not putting any words <clears throat> into Luke, um, Luke's mouth here, not the Luke sitting across me, but the Luke writing the book of Acts. Um, and, you know, if I get to heaven and I'm completely wrong, you know, hey, Luke, you can correct me <laughs> you when I get there, me. okay? Um, but, it, it, like, maybe, a, you know, paraphrasing what he said it was very clear that the Holy Spirit was manifesting himself in very visible, obvious ways. It was not secret. Mm -hmm. It was not hidden. It was not, it was not um, subdued. Mm -hmm. It was loud. It was obvious. It was everywhere. There was no mistaking it. Mm -hmm. And then, like, that was a visible manifestation and then like a verbal manifestation came as they began to speak in other tongues and that word there that i do know yeah can be described can be translated not just tongues yeah which is a highly nuanced word in the christian faith yes um but not just tongues but languages yeah they began to speak in other languages yeah which we didn't, which we would anticipate the language interpretation happening there, given the next immediate verses and the context there. Yeah, yeah. Um, before we get into the the tongues and the languages thing, I this is an interesting. Um, this is just an interesting. I'm a, I'm a nerd. I'm into comic books. I'm into RPGs and all that stuff. Um, so maybe you'll find this interesting as like a reflection, but. Um, there's a genre, there's an author who wrote kind of like short story horror fiction around the turn of the century named H.P. Lovecraft. And he's created like a genre of, of horror. It's called Lovecraftian horror. So if you've ever watched maybe the television show, the Netflix show, uh, Stranger Things would be maybe like the most modern example of his type of like brand of in that genre. And what he's known for is for describing otherworldly things that are too terrible or too mm. awesome to be described. Um, and so the language he's it's like it was like a thing, or it was something so behold that that beholding it they lost their mind or something like that. And I think that you know not to say that this is like a. Lovecraftian horror scene or anything like that, but simply to say that it does draw like the comparison or at least the connection in my mind draws me to think about the sheer like 
awesomeness of God. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think we were talking the other week about like fear of God. Yeah. Right. Of like a lot of times, if you hear someone talk about like the fear of God and like exper- seeing angels or encountering the Lord and all of that, they're like, well, they're not really afraid. They're just being respectful. Or they're afraid. Or they're actually afraid, which is yeah. why the word is there, right. right? And and I tend to think that it's, you know, it's not an either or, it's a both, but fear is definitely, right? If we think of Isaiah encountering the Lord in the throne room. Woe is me. Woe is me, mm-hmm. I am ruined, yeah. right? Like that is not just mere honoring the Lord and respecting the Lord. That is absolute terror, right? Yeah, I mean, like no one can see the Lord and live. Right. In the Bible. Yes. Right? <laughs> and so when we get to, like, Acts, like, it would have been, like, I, I think there, I, I, I don't think it's saying too much to say that this would have been at least disorienting, perhaps a little bit terrifying, like, uncertain. Yeah. Um, even in, um, I was talking with a friend of mine who was doing a study and um, uh, some, doing a study in the book of Mark, and... Uh, one commentator was like, the book of Mark is, is, a, is a mystery horror story. The whole idea being mm-hmm. that like the, cause Mark has this really strong theme of like, who is Christ? And it kind of being this slow revelation of like uh, all these encounters with demons and all of these like shocking miracles and like, who is Christ and the messianic secret being so strong in it. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I think the commentator was maybe overreading a little bit, mm-hmm. but I do think it's interesting, or at least worth noting, to you know slow down, think about like what was happening, mm-hmm. and then maybe even just insert some human emotion into it. We, if we've grown up like like I have in the church, like I remember seeing a felt board diagram of like flaming things over top of people's heads, and so like it just becomes so common. But, like, when we sit and think about, like, okay, what if we were here in this room and we we're having a prayer meeting and suddenly, like, we had a strong wind in this closed room? Yeah. Like, that would be terrifying, you know? Yes. Yeah. Or, you know, so, you know, putting some flesh back on it a little bit. Right. Right. Yeah. Not, you know, to not, I guess I would over-spiritualize what we what we read, yeah. It sounds strange to say when we're talking about reading about the Holy Spirit, but <laughs> exactly your point is that like the you know how do how would you possibly expect to encapsulate with with um, precision the pouring out of the Holy Spirit of God upon? You can't. No, you can't. Right. So Luke does his best job. Right. We think. Yeah, that's what we think. That's what we think. That's what when yeah, you I know, mean, like like, like we say, hey Luke, you know, correct us when we get to heaven if we're wrong, right? right. You know, like no, that's actually what it was, guys. Flames of fire yeah. over everyone's head. Yeah. Right. Um, but yeah, but like then to go on verse four in Acts chapter two, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, and then you know verse five through eleven. And 12, um, there was staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Mm. And when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment. So they heard a sound, the sound of a violent wind. Mm -hmm. 
because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Yeah. So utterly amazed, they ask, are not all of these men who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native language? And then it goes to describe the broad base of ethnic groups that were there. Mm-hmm. Um, we hear them declaring the wonders wonders of God in our own tongues. Mm-hmm. I think that's, for me, really critical in understanding what happened at Pentecost. Yeah. Um, because the sometimes I think that there's a uh, that there are absolutely other other um, sections of scripture um, that talk about speaking in tongues and needing interpretation yes. and praying in the spirit right? right and and is that the same thing yeah that happened at Pentecost um and my my take on it is that it's not the same thing I, I agree. Yeah. You know, the, I think the text makes it fairly plain. Seems to be two different things here, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. That at Pentecost, the, the, the tongues that were being uttered, the languages that were being spoken mm-hmm. were known, used. Understandable. Understandable yeah. languages by those that spoke them. They weren't, they weren't, ecstatic spiritual language Mm -hmm. they were mesopotamian languages and judean languages and cappadocian and asian languages as it says in the text here right and so you take what happened at pentecost and you put it in the context of the first chapter of acts you can't read acts one and two separately Mm -hmm. because one leads up to Another, and then you go back into Acts chapter one, and then you see again the words of Jesus to his followers um, before Pentecost happens. Don't leave Jerusalem, mm-hmm. but wait for the gift that my Father promised, which you have heard me speak about. Yes. Coming of the Spirit. Mm-hmm. John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Spirit. With the Holy Spirit. Yep. Right? Um, and then it goes on in verse 7. Um, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. So that's the qualification. Now, mm-hmm. what does that mean? And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Yeah. So it seems to me that the context of chapter 1, specifically the words of Jesus to the disciples pre-Pentecost, inform Mm -hmm. what happens at Pentecost. Right. Which is that the pouring out of the Holy Spirit is the power necessary Mm -hmm. to fulfill the mission of being witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Yeah. Right. So that, so that what Jesus said, you will go and do mm-hmm. in my power. Right. Is what then we see manifested right in front of our faces. Right. In Acts chapter two. Like, okay, you're going to go be my witnesses in all of the areas of the world. Right. And the power of the spirit rests upon you to mm-hmm. proclaim to the whole world in every language, yep. every nation, every tongue. 
Um, it's it's the reversing of Babel. Yeah, it's sure. You know, um, <clears throat> re, you know, undoing undoing that and creating the gospel. You know, spanning not just nationality. You know, spanning ethnic groups and language and mm-hmm. nationalities and right. all of that. Right. Well, then and then the following chapters in Acts, mm-hmm. a good section of chapter four in Acts, kind of begins to see. We begin to see how the power of God through the Holy Spirit um, changes the trajectory of the message of the gospel, mm-hmm. particularly in Peter's life. Yeah. Who... Right, his vision. Right. Well, and not even just the vision, but even before mm-hmm. that, we see that Peter goes from one who is... I mean, he's pretty impetuous in the gospels, but... yeah. He doesn't have a, a strong sense of the proclamation of the message of Jesus until after he receives the Holy Spirit. But then after he receives the Holy Spirit, you can't you can't shut the man up <laughs> right. about Jesus. Yeah. And he begins to speak the message with um he begins to speak the message with boldness. Mm-hmm. Uh, then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers, elders of the people. You know, so right after the rulers and elders of the people killed Jesus in front of everyone, mm-hmm. him being filled with the Holy Spirit sends up and, and says, hey, y'all, you killed him. Mm-hmm. You are, you rejected the capstone. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just want to let you know that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven by which we must be saved. Yeah. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. So it's like he, the the power of God comes upon him in such a significant way that we then we then see the proof that the empowerment of the Holy Spirit is the thing that carries the message out mm-hmm. to the people. Peter's like the first example of that, and it happens right away. Right. It's the, which is in its own way, it's the fulfilling of what Christ said that, the, you know, I think it's in John, that the Holy Spirit would reveal Christ. Mm-hmm. Right? Like the Holy Spirit is... Enabling um, the apostles and the disciples to proclaim and reveal Christ to the nations. Yep. After they played the prayed, the place where they were at uh, was shaken, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Yep. Acts four thirty one. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> why to kind of go back a little bit? Why do you feel like it was? Why do, why is it important to make the distinction? about the Holy Spirit coming on Pentecost and tongues being the, like, why did we stop and pause there about what those particular tongues were? Um, well, I don't know. Um. <laughs> I mean, we can have some conversation around it. Yeah. Like, well, I my guess is that people who were listening are going to want us to talk about tongues, or they're going to want to hear oh, sure. our opinions about it, because yeah. they're going to be like, oh, you didn't talk about... Even though, like, I, I, have a, I had a professor in college who um, made this point, and I think she was spot on. She was just like, we tend to fixate on about 1% of what the Holy Spirit does. Mm. We f- fixate on like sign gifts 
or tongues in particular, where that is the like the least amount of things that the Holy Spirit talks or the Holy Spirit is connected to and talked about in Scripture. Yeah, if you were to make a list of all the things of all the things, it'd be a very long list. But the amount of attention we give to this one particular thing on the list is disproportionate to the other things that are on the list. Mm. Um, being that, like, and and that's the, uh, if you read the Corinthian letters, right? Like uh, a church that probably over had like this fixation on the on all of the gifts, mm. right? And Paul's just like the body. Don't despise the other parts of the body, mm. like. The love chapter, if you have not love. Yeah, like, speak in the tongues of men and angels, but have not love. Right. right. So Corinthians, even back in the early church, the Corinthians themselves were perhaps over-infatuated, over-concerned with sign gifts or the miraculous things. Um, so I don't want to, you know, fall into the trap of being... Um, you know, overly fixated on just one of the thing, one of the many things that the Holy Spirit does mm. and means in the Christian life. But I do just know that you know many people have, you know, have only heard maybe a few teachings about tongues and the Holy Spirit and things like that, and you know, and are probably wondering what we think about it, even yeah. if we're not a hundred percent sure what we think of all of the details of it. Yeah. Well, I will say this. And um, people who have a strong theology of tongues will probably not like this a whole lot. Yeah. Um, but the scripture doesn't really tell us what speaking in tongues is. Mm-hmm. It doesn't. It tells us about some experiences, for instance, of it in the Corinthian church and maybe how it should integrate into worship, mm-hmm. you know, with interpretation and kind of where it sits in the list of gifts. Um, it's near the bottom of the list. Mm-hmm. Um, but it doesn't really say, it doesn't really describe to us, at least in my study of Scripture and my estimation, what it actually is. Yeah. Is it something that every believer does does yeah is it something um yeah is it a gift that you know like if i have the gift of preaching does does every does every believer have the gift of or have <laughs> access to the gift of preaching right you know like the access to the gift of tongues right. and um but but what it is and whether it is an intelligible language mm-hmm. or not i don't I don't, the, it doesn't often, it doesn't. It's not often clear. It's not clear in scripture. I I do, you know, so like there's, um, there are denominations and theological streams that do believe that, um, you know, like, uh, if you don't speak in tongues, you can't be a pastor. Um, or you don't have the Holy or Spirit. Or you don't have the Holy Spirit. And I do think, and I do th- like as as many other details we can get into tongues that like I think you know we could have discussions about and ultimately land in a place of like I am unsure. The place where I feel more confident about is is the distinction we simply made there. I think that text could be used as a proof text of saying like 
okay, well, because what you read, and you're like, okay, I wait until I baptize you with the Holy Spirit, promise of Christ. The disciples waited until they were baptized with the Holy Spirit, received the Holy Spirit, and then with that came tongues. And so it might be an understandable like application of that to say, well, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, then, or if you don't speak in tongues and you don't have the Holy Spirit, mm-hmm. um, and making kind of that a little bit prescriptive or normative yeah. of kind of like saying like, well, if you might be a Christian, but you've not been baptized by the spirit yet. Right. And so therefore you're and the way we know you're baptized by the spirit is speaking in tongues, which usually is not meant speaking in other languages. It's meant sp- speaking in a, um, angelic or ecstatic or prayer language. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I feel from at least from that passage, I think the I think a clear understanding of it is that they're not speaking in that kind of language. No, it's a it's a known language. It's not a not even a prayer language. Right. So I, I feel like that at least for me is a really so, I can stand pretty confidently on that. That that does not sit as a proof text saying that if you do not speak in tongues, you do not have the Holy Spirit or something like that. I th- well, and even they said, you know, like, what does this mean? Yeah. They don't know. <laughs> Amazed <Yeah>. and perplexed, <clears throat> they asked one another, what does this mean in verse 12? Yeah. So while I love my, you know, any brother or Christian who is, you know, in streams of theology that would disagree or would believe that you need to be baptized with the Spirit and then speak in tongues as a result of it, I just don't see that in Scripture. Yeah, I'm less charitable about it than you are well, on that one because <laughs> because I um, because I have witnessed far too many people be like, "Oh, you don't speak in tongues? I need to pray for you that you would receive the Holy Spirit." Yeah, and then it's like a you're you're captive while this person prays over you until something happens right yeah or like there's an assumption that i don't i'm not really a christian because i don't speak in tongues yeah um where like the scripture is pretty clear that we receive the holy spirit mm-hmm. at the moment of salvation right you know that paul seems to indicate that in the scripture in ephesians that we already read ephesians mm-hmm. 1 13 and 14 yeah um acts 2 30 right in front of me acts 2 38 Peter replied, you know, when they when the people heard this, verse 37, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, brothers, what should we do? Peter replied, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Like so. there isn't a repent, believe, be baptized. That comes the Holy Spirit. There is not a, another prayer night that they needed to go to right. in order to be laid on upon hands, prayed over extensively in right. order to, you know. There's no extensive theology in Scripture of this is how you get the Holy Spirit yeah. after you've been saved. Right. It's kind of an assumed. It's an assumed you have the Holy Spirit yeah. when you confess your sins, repent, and be baptized in Jesus Christ, in the name of Jesus Christ. like what Paul said here or Peter said in Acts 238. So um I my experience 
is that there there it does happen where people become so militantly obsessed with speaking in tongues as the only manifestation of the spirit's presence in your life mm-hmm. and then they use that as a club to bludgeon people who are just out there loving people you know heaven forbid we do <laughs> heaven forbid you heaven manifest be, the fruits of the spirit without right. speaking in tongues right yeah, gotcha. um <laughs> that they use that to you know just like <clears throat> beat people yeah over the head with it and it is it, it, it like it's based on guilt and it produces guilt and shame a lot i can't tell you how many people i have counseled as a pastor out of the belief that they that god is mad at them or that they don't have the holy spirit because they tried to speak in tongues and i just can't speak in tongues i just right. can't do it right it creates it creates a two-tiered christianity those who can and cannot because and it's not just that you can do a thing it's that you're lacking the spirit if you can't Right, you don't have enough faith to receive the spirit. Right, and then it creates a sense. It, it for a lot of people, it makes this, um, you know. Well, I do. Do I continue just not, you know, out of a desire to be genuine? Genuine. Do I not do anything because nothing's happening? Yeah. Or do I fake it? Fake it till I make it. Right. Shamala hamala. Like. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Uh, we, <laughs> oh my! I can't even. Oh, that was. Um, everybody's wondering why Cameron's laughing so hard. That was a reference to a video that we've both seen of like a a comedian, a uh, comedian who grew up in like a super fundamentalist Christian church. Yes. Uh, <laughs> anyways, but and he faked speaking in tongues one night. Yeah, and it. It sparked the whole thing inside yeah. of the church because he, oh, he kind of faked an, speaking in tongues. So. A hilarious reel. Yeah. So we don't mean to like. I don't mean that in a uh, derogatory no, way. No. Derogatory or dismissive. Speaks in tongues. Like. Um, well, but I'll, I'll just say this now. Like I do. Mm-hmm. I don't understand what it is. Mm-hmm. I don't even necessarily like. I don't know. I know when it happened and I know where it came from mm-hmm. and I know it's not of me, mm-hmm. but I don't know what it is. I know that it's something that I like I often go to in worship and in prayer. Mm-hmm. Um, but I've never had anyone do any form of like interpretation interpretation or mm-hmm. I, this is what I heard you saying. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, and in in that, I have it has I have maintained it for my for for worship, like personal worship and prayer. I mean, I'm sure there's people at, in church that have heard me speak in tongues before, but it's not it's not something that like I do in the middle of my preaching or from the microphone because I just don't have a sense of its be of its edification for the body in that right. moment. Mm-hmm. So. I don't want anyone to hear yeah. us talking down on people who do speak in tongues because no. I do. Right. I am almost always also going to tell you that I don't. I don't have a clear sense of what it is mm-hmm. uh, that's happening, other than it's clearly not me. No. Um. So, 
I just want to be clear about right. that. I want to be clear the line that we're drawing yeah, here. We're like, not we're not trying to be anti tongues in any particular way. No, because the Bible is pro tongues. Exactly. It says to pray for them. Exactly. Right? Right. In Corinthians Paul says pray for it. Yes. Right. Um but we're also trying to perhaps counter some unhealthy church culture that maybe you've encountered or teaching mm-hmm. um, that has elevated it to a degree and placed an importance on it that is, you know, well, unhealthy. Be, yeah, because that certainly is there. Yeah, that certainly is there. So, um, yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> that's the divergence there. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So. Um, so we've talked about tongues on Pentecost. Mm-hmm. So like that's the the big thing that a that's lot a of big people want yeah. to talk about when it comes to Pentecost. Uh-huh. What else? I I think that that Pentecost it really is less about the tongues and more about the power of God to mm-hmm. fulfill the mission of God. Yeah, the mission of God is that His people would be His witnesses mm-hmm. in all of the earth. Yeah, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. To the ends of the earth, we um, it's like God then has a mission and now he gives us the tools yeah. to do the mission, and the tool is the power of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. It's not in our own power, it's not in our own gifts, it's not in our own ability. Mm-hmm. He empowers us to fulfill his mission. Yeah. It's about him. Yeah. Pentecost is not about us. No. Yeah. It's not about the people, not about the language. It's about it's about God fully and completely. Mm-hmm. His mission, his power, his gifts, his world, his people. Uh I think at the end of the day, you want what is Pentecost? Pentecost is God providing the power to fulfill his mission. Do you see do you see a parallelism between Pentecost and Christ being baptized by John the Baptist and the Spirit descending upon mm. God in the form of, or Christ in the form of a dove. Do you do you see a? Because that's where Christ's like go. He yeah. is baptized. Sure. He goes into the wilderness and he comes out and he starts his ministry. Like yeah. so, everyone always points to his baptism as the start of his public ministry, mm-hmm. like the receiving of the Spirit, like and going forth in the power. Like because I think it says, and filled with the Holy Spirit, he goes into the desert um, in one of the Gospels, I think. And so I'm just as you're thinking, talking about that, I was like, mm, like, is that a fair, like? Uh, parallelism to draw there. I don't see why not. Um, as soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the desert to be tempted by the devil. Yeah. Another, if nothing else, it's another instance in which the spirit descends like something, right? Right, mm-hmm. and and then it's connected to uh, enacting of ministry post yes. that event. Yes, you know, I, I, right. The power then comes to go do the thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mark's ver- that was Matthew's Mark's version, 
as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. At once the spirit sent him out into the desert and in the desert for 40 days uh, being tempted by Satan. That's interesting. Um, yeah, so... Um, Luke's version, he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I love, with you I am well pleased. And then, likewise, he goes into the, um, he goes into the wilderness, wilderness after that, yeah. Um, I don't think John's version has, John's gospel has. No, he kind of like. He talks more about, you know. He blends history with philosophical talk in John 1. Yes. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that pattern, it feels holds like that. Maybe and maybe it's the reverse that Jesus' experience of baptism and the sending of the Spirit on him, and then him going into ministry is the first fruits of what our experience will be as the Holy Spirit comes upon us. Yeah, and you know we are given power to be His witnesses. Mm-hmm. Pentecost in Acts two seems kind of like a non-normative experience. Yes. Because it's yeah. the initial pouring of the Spirit. Right. Well, there's other points in Acts, and I, oh, I'm going to blank on exactly where they're at, um, where um, there's people who have been maybe following John's baptism, but they're not aware of Christ, or mm-hmm. there's other moments where it says, and one of the disciples went to that area and they believed and they received the Holy mm, Spirit. Mm-hmm. But it does not duplicate the details of the first Pentecost. There are other moments in Acts where it seems to be regions or pockets of people mm-hmm. receive the Spirit um, with greater revelation about Christ, mm-hmm. but it lacks the same uh, wind, fire, like, mm. and, 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 um, I'm not sure. I would have to have to look back to see if it's there's mention of tongues in connection with that, but I don't mm-hmm. believe that there's necessarily there's certainly not as big of a description. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I think is, is it Antioch? Is that one of the places that I don't remember? I know what you're talking about, but I don't off the top of my head um, know where that is. Does that surprise you, people listening? That you're, you're you know, I I was I had. Someone once um, they they weren't super experienced with the church, so I can't um, I can't blame them too much. But they thought part one of the requirements for being a pastor was that you have the entire Bible memorized. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I was mm-hmm. like, no, good sir, um, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, I do not have the entire Bible memorized. I've read the entire Bible, um, but I do not Correct. have it memorized. Yep, um, I often have to Google verses that I know. But I can't find. Right. Um, it's like, well, if I've got the the book in front of me, I can usually flip until I find it. Yep. Um, mm-hmm. But, yes. Yeah. So, Pentecost. Yeah. The power of God for the mission of God. Mm-hmm. It's a 
celebration of kind of the enacting of modern um, ministry. Yeah. In a lot of ways. Right. Yeah. We couldn't do it without the power of the Holy Spirit. Yeah. I, you know, I, one, one author put it this way, and it's really stuck with me, is like, Christ's ministry never stopped. Uh, it merely transferred mm. to the church. Through the Spirit. Through the Spirit. Yep. Right? Like, Christ um, gives the Great Commission, go into the world, teaching them all to obey, that I've commanded mm-hmm. you, baptizing them in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lo, I'm with you until the end of the age. Mm-hmm. And then comes Pentecost, and then the church, the disciples, grows, and it carries on doing the same things that Christ was doing, continuing his mission. Mm-hmm. So Christ has never stopped his ministry that he started in Galilee all those many, many years mm-hmm. ago, mm-hmm. years, centuries. Mm-hmm continues on in the local church. Mm-hmm. And I think that's a I think that's a really beautiful way to think about it. Mm-hmm. Agreed. Let's let, let's have that be the final word then. Yeah. On it. <laughs> As always, appreciate you listening, Absolutely. watching wherever you are. You can send us questions. Uh, we'd love some questions actually. We want to talk about things that matter to you as well. Uh, we have a texting line that you can do that too. You can text any question or comment that you have to 716-201-0507. Yep. Or you can leave a comment on YouTube uh, if you're watching it there or Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Like, share, s- subscribe, rate us, write a review. Mm-hmm. Like it all. Yep. Maybe next week we'll get your energy drink back. Yeah, I just needed some water today. <laughs> oh. Thanks for listening to the Young Cut Podcast. Yeah.